morning, everyone. I uh, was up here yesterday uh, shoveling a few tons of mulch myself, and I do want to thank everyone that came out. It is so neat to see the spirit of people that come out, and you know, we're working on the ground, so we want the place to look beautiful for upcoming Palm Sunday and Easter. And uh, I met uh, Tal and his wife Foon yesterday. I met one of James Schaefer's neighbors named Casper. It's neat to talk and fellowship as you're working, and we got a lot accomplished. Today is also a special day for my family. My grandson Aiden is celebrating his 15th birthday, and my grandson John Mark celebrating his eighth birthday. So happy birthday to them. And then, of course, I can't start a message without first telling a brief little story. So um, there was a church that had a fire, and the fire was pretty significant where they were going to have to come in and close the church down for a while and do some repairs. Unfortunately, there was no other place anywhere in the area where they could meet except that there was a bar down the road that had a pretty big seating area. Now, the pastor preached sermons against visiting bars and imbibing and stuff like that, but he had to humble himself and go to the bar owner and explain the fire and ask his permission if he could use the church on or the bar on Sunday mornings for church because he knew that nobody goes to the bar on Sunday mornings. Well, the bar owner chuckled a little bit, had a few choice words for the minister because he knew he preached against bars. But anyway, they came to an agreement, a little rental price. But the bar owner told the uh, pastor of the church, he said, look, there's one thing that I will not change. I have a pet parrot, and he lives in the bar. And he never leaves the bar, nor will he leave the bar when you have your church service. Well, the pastor was a little reluctant, but what could he do? He needed a place to meet. So the first Sunday comes, and the old lady piano player got up, and she started playing. And the parrot says, oh, oh, a new musician, new musician. And then the pastor stood up to give some announcements, and the parrot squawked, Ah, oh, new MC, new MC. And then somebody turned up the house lights, and the parrot squawked, Same old crowd, same old crowd. <laughs> now, it's a funny story. I will integrate a little bit of that into the sermon a little bit later. But... Um, what I like to do is I like to start with a little review from last week, and um, go to my slide here. <clears throat> Chapter 3 of, of James ended with a comparison between true wisdom and false wisdom. And Elder Barry did a great job rightly dividing the Word of God in this chapter, and he talked about wisdom from below and wisdom from above. And at the end of chapter 3, the Apostle James stresses the peace that we can have as a result of heavenly wisdom. So I want to talk, before I start um, reading these scriptures, we have the review from last week, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. The book of Proverbs goes hand in hand with the book of James. It is amazing. I told you guys before you know this, I read a chapter of Proverbs every morning when I wake up. How much of these two books really go together? 
Um, Proverbs 1, 2 to 7. I'm going to read this. You can see uh, just a summary up here. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. As you note up here in the notes, uh, Proverbs 2 talks about the moral benefits of wisdom. Proverbs 3 talks about the wisdom that bestows the well-being that the end of chapter 3 of James talks about. You have chapter 8, the value of wisdom. And then in chapter 9, verse 10, it says, that The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So once again, these are just reminders of what Proverbs, or what the book of James tells us. We're going to start with uh, reading the first few verses in James chapter 4, and we're going to find out that the church was rejecting much of the book of Proverbs. And they caused, the people that were doing this were causing strife in the church because of their unsatisfied, selfish desires. And instead of wrestling with God in prayer, these believers are striving with one another. So we'll read the uh, first verses of James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you receive. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Uh, different translation up there, but you get the gist of this. So when we look at the first three verses, they don't paint a pretty picture of the church. It talks about murder. I'm thinking, wow, I don't think I'd want to go to that church. And whether it's the physical act or people's thoughts in their heart. Because remember what Jesus said, if you hate somebody, you're committing murder in your heart. So they had fighting, they had quarreling and strife. Uh, Proverbs 3.31 says this, Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. I don't know if that could be more simple. Don't envy the violent or choose any of their ways. And then we go to chapter 6, and I'm going to read the passage. You have a little summary up here and on your notes, but I'm going to read the passage from uh, Proverbs 6, uh, 12 to 19. A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eye, singles with his feet and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up conflict. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. 
And then as you follow along in verses 16 to 19, there are seven behaviors that are detestable to God. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So some of these behaviors listed in Proverbs were the very behaviors that were happening in the church that James was addressing. What happens many times is I prepare my message weeks in advance, and then I periodically review it. And one of the things that has happened to me probably the last three or four sermons, when I am looking at the book of Proverbs, a verse comes to mind that is going to tie into my sermon. So I came across chapter 8 last week, verse 13. It says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I, the Lord, hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. So... Let's take a look at this as we go a little further. The Jewish converts to Christianity back in the first century should have known better because they would have been familiar with the Old Testament. They would have been familiar with the book of Proverbs. But for some reason, they were ignoring that behavior. The Gentiles, if they did not have a church background, and most likely they probably weren't in the Jewish synagogues, they would not have had any biblical background. But regardless of whether they were a Jewish uh, convert that knew the Old Testament or a recent convert, they were mimicking violent ways, and they were confronted for their behavior. I want you to think of this. We as a people... We're constantly battling evil. We battle it within ourselves. We see what's happening in society. Every day is a struggle. If you remember Moses before he died, he was not allowed to go into the promised land because instead of speaking to the rock to give the water, he struck the rock in anger. And he was kept from going into the promised land. God took him up to the mountain. He showed him the promised land from a distance. And then Moses gave his... <coughs> parting address before uh, he died, and he warned the Jewish people about worshiping the false gods and the nations they were dispossessing. And he mentions that if they turn away from the living God and they fall, that they're going to be punished by God because they're going to be uh, mimicking the murder and strife and all the bad behaviors of the pagan nations that they were taking over. So, we know from the scripture that this, this, is a, this is a lifelong battle. This is going on all the time. As we move to um, James 4, verse 3, um, the believers are also chastised because they're not asking God in prayer for their needs. Or if they're praying, they're asking selfishly so they can go out and spend money on their passions. Now, we as believers know that God wants to take care of us. And we have two verses that speak to this. Matthew 6.33, I shared this a while back. It's a verse that, one of the first verses I memorized as a child. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and these other things will be added as well. God's going to say, if you seek my kingdom, I'm going to take care of your physical needs. And then in Matthew 7.7-8, 7, this talks about going to God and asking. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. So these believers weren't praying with that type of prayer. They were praying selfishly. 
And so we have to go back and look at the right way to pray. Um, Psalm 37.4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So this is what these people had to learn that James was writing to. Uh, he was very specific about where they were missing their mark. And one of the things that I want to mention is we see the evil in our society today. We turn on the news, we hear about murders and theft and, and all these crazy things that are happening. We should not be mimicking the behavior of the world, folks. We're believers. We should be, not be mimicking the behavior of the world. And let's make sure that we don't stray like the believers did in James' day. And when we pray, let's make sure that we pray with the proper motivation. Let's go to James 4.4 4 now. He doesn't mince any words here. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, I want to get one thing straight. I love the created world. I love being outside. I love this time of year when everything's in blossom. Um, yesterday, even after working up here throughout the morning, I went home and I worked out in my yard for a couple more hours. I was pretty tired, but I love being outside. I'm not talking about loving the created world because God made the world so beautiful that we know inherently that somebody had to create it. We know that, that God did that. We have that in Romans 1, uh, verse, 18, <clears throat> verse 18. But if we go back, we had Israel is an example of loving the world. In Hosea 2.5, the Israelites followed pagan lovers so that they could obtain food and wool and linen and olive oil and drinks. They were more concerned with material items and pleasures than worshiping their God. And then in, Jesus, in uh, Matthew 12.39, Jesus chastised uh, the belief, well, he was talking to the people there, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign but none will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. And so what these wicked people wanted to see is they wanted to see Jesus do some kind of miracle. They heard that he uh, made the blind see and he made the lame walk and they heard all these wonderful stories that they were interested in like a magic show. But what they weren't interested in was repenting and following the Savior of the world. They just loved the world too much and they just wanted to see the miracles. Let's move on to um, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. At verse 5, there are a lot of Bible scholars that are looking at the jealousy of the Holy Spirit. It says here he yearns with jealousy over believers. Well, he is a jealous God. He gave the command, first the Ten Commandments, have no other God before me. So he is a jealous God. He wants us. He wants us as his possessions. He doesn't want us to worship idols or false gods. And God also desires humility from us, as we see in verse 6. And by the way, the word uh, for grace in Greek is menazona, which actually means greater grace. So he's desiring greater grace in us. Now, if we're all honest, 
I think that when we have some kind of success in life, we tend to be pretty proud, and we may like to boast about the success. A couple years ago, I got my first hole-in-one in golf. I played golf for 30-some years before I got my first hole-in-one. It was kind of neat because I, you know, we took pictures, I posted it on Facebook. I think I had more likes for the hole-in-one in golf than I did with any other post I ever did about my family or anything else. Um, I'm an athlete, so, so I like to talk. If I have a good golf score, I play basketball and I do well, I like to talk about it. But we, we have to be careful with our boasting. If we're, if we're at work and we, we oversee some project and it's immensely successful, you know, we want to we pat ourselves on the back. Um, I had a little bit of, of pride. Um, I, went, I was on an accreditation team. I was at the head of Grace Brethren for, for a number of years. So I would periodically go visit other schools as they were seeking their accreditation. And I remember being up in Pennsylvania at a school that had about 500 students. And they were just thrilled that they weren't losing students. And this was in the early 2000s before the Great Recession. And the school that I was ahead of at that time had 800 students plus, and we were picking up like 25 a year. And I just thought to myself, all these Pennsylvania schools, they don't know anything. You know, why aren't they increasing? You know, I'm patting myself on the back. Bad. That was, that was pride that I should not have had because, number one, we weren't in Pennsylvania. They were in a farming community, and money was tight. And they were thrilled just to be having the same amount of students and breaking even. We were in an area that was booming at that time. The economy was doing well, and we were gaining that. Another, another thing is, you know, I'm the head of a, a pretty big school. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. But really, it's my teachers and staff that are doing a job. I'm overseeing it, but it's the teachers and staff that are carrying the school. So I had to learn a little bit. Don't be so proud. And be willing to give credit because other people are uh, in there. And another thing, you know, you think back to when you were a teenager. We do have some teenagers in here. You know, you're in school, you're learning, you're talking, you're, you know, you're, then you think you know more than your parents. We all, I think we all went through that. And then, of course, you grow up and mature. And not only, you know, do you mature and realize that that was wrong, but then you also realize how much knowledge is out there in the world. And we can't possibly possess all the knowledge in the world. There's always stuff that we're not going to know. So we need to be careful and we need to be humble. One of the things that's probably irritating, I, I'm not in the world anymore, I, and I was in a Christian ministry, which was, which was good, but you can have coworkers, you can have friends, you can have acquaintances that are pretty talented, and they boast. And in their boasting, what they're really doing is they're putting other people down who can't live up to their standard. And eventually, that gets pretty old if you're under that kind of pressure, and, and Probably it ruins some friendships, it can ruin some families when you're doing that sort of thing. So as believers, let us all be humble in our relationships. If we're good with our careers, sports, hobbies, music, arts, whatever talents that we have, let's give our praise to the Almighty for giving us those talents and abilities. And we go to Proverbs 11:2, which gives us a little warning, when pride comes... Then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So that's where we want to be. We want to be humble, and we want to gain God's wisdom from our humility. 
Boasting about tomorrow. We'll look at these verses. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while, a little time, and then it vanishes. Now, we have people probably in this church congregation that are businessmen and businesswomen, and they have a knack for making money. And I think naturally when you're in business, um, you're looking for opportunities to expand your business, uh, to make money, not, maybe not only for yourself, but if you have employees, you want the business to thrive, and, and you want to do that. But one of the things that we know from Scripture and from real life is a person does not have an ability to control their destiny. And for example, Proverbs 27.1 says this, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day they bring. And then we go to Luke chapter 12. And those of you who read through the New Testament or you've heard sermons about this, Jesus was talking about the rich full. And what he did is he went out and he constructed barns because his crops were coming in. You know, you remember when Joseph was placed over the kingdom of Egypt under, you know, second in command to Pharaoh. And he had warned Pharaoh that there was going to be seven years of uh, famine after seven years of plenty. So what they did is they constructed their warehouses, and they, they were blessed with an abundance of the crop, and then they stuck it away. And then when the famine came, they were able to give the grain out and feed the people. Well, this guy, I don't even think he's thinking about famine or anything else. He's just thinking, I'm just going to keep storing up this grain. I can sell it, make more money. I can sit back, kick back. I don't have to work. And I can eat, drink, and be merry. And that philosophy, by the way, was mentioned by uh, Paul in, in the New Testament. And it's something that we hear about all the time. Uh, we're going to retire one day rich so we can eat, drink, and be merry. But we know from the story that that man's life was, was required of him that night. And he was not able to enjoy all the riches that he had stored up. So... What should we be doing when we're making plans? And the book of James answers that. Instead, you ought to say, if this is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do, and they don't do it, it is a sin for them. So let's take a look at some of these verses. The back, this thought. Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. We know that we need to be involved in planning. If we have a business, we need to be involved in planning. If we don't plan, the competition may get ahead of us and our business may decline and it may go bankrupt. Uh, obviously, when you're in a Christian ministry, you are planning the ministries and you're trying to figure out what you can do uh, to reach people for Christ. But I really like Proverbs 16.3 because it's telling you that when you're making your plan, if you include the Lord in your plan, 
And if you have the right motivation to serve him, he is going to establish your plans and he is going to give you success. Not necessarily wealth. I mean, there are churches out there that preach a prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about success that would honor him and put food on your plate. We want to make sure that we're doing our planning so that we can be good witnesses for the Lord, so we can establish witness, uh, ministries in our church. And I want to bear witness to this fact. Um, my wife and I started coming here almost two years ago. Um, we attended periodically, and then when I retired, we decided to come here in the summer, uh, in June, of uh, almost two years ago. And then, um, you know, the church went through a little bit of turmoil there. And a little over a year ago, I sat in the elder class and got the elder training. And then about a year ago, I became an elder. And I've been working with uh, seven other elders in the church, godly men. Everybody has different gifts and different talents and, you know, different skill levels. But one of the things that I see our elders doing is every time we have an elder meeting, and those meetings generally go for two and a half hours, and we meet twice a month. I never even did that when I was the head of school and on a church council. I never met that much. But we spend about a half hour in prayer at the start of a meeting. And then later on in the meeting, if there are any, any requests that are shared, we'll have another little prayer time, and we close in prayer. And then sometimes during a week, something comes up, and we're over here, and we meet for prayer. Or we have a little Zoom meeting, and we discuss something, and we pray for it. And so what's neat to me is to see the Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. And this church, one, one year later from some of the turmoil that, that we went through, we have uh, Sunday school classes up and running again, different classes on different topics. We have uh, youth ministry going. We have women's ministry going. We have some men's ministry coming. We have the men's prayer breakfasts. There are a lot of things, retreats. There are a lot of good things that are happening here. And I attribute that to the fact that when we plan, we do it with prayer. Um, 2 Corinthians 10 and 17 says, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So if we are successful in doing something, let's not give ourselves the credit. Let's give the Lord the credit. And by the way, you see some professional athletes on occasion after, after a game when the reporter comes up, the ones that are really bold, they'll give honor and glory to Christ. And it's neat to see those kind of testimonies. Then as we finish up the chapter, it says, make sure that you, well, it says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So I wrote down here, make sure that you do the right thing so that you don't sin. There are a couple types of sins we can commit. One of the types of sins we can commit is the sin of commission. That's where we actually go out and we kill somebody or we steal or we lie or we whatever. They're visible sins. Everybody can see those. If you get caught, you may spend some time in jail or prison. But the other sin is called the sin of omission. And the sin of omission is when you know that you should be doing something and you are omitting it from your life. You don't want to do it. God has impressed on your heart that you should do something, and you just flat out don't want to do it. And when you rebel in that way, you are committing a sin. So even though you're not stealing or killing or doing something like that, you're not doing the good that God has called you to do. So I want to end with uh, something that I do periodically. 
Um, I try to get to know people. And over the years, I've, I've uh, as a head of school, I would go into different restaurants and some of the same workers would, would meet with me, uh, you know, serve me week after week. Uh, business meeting, you know, you start getting to know some of those people. And so what God will do is he will impress on my heart, why don't you give them a Bible? And then don't just give them a Bible, give them an insert that has all the most important scriptures anybody can ever read. So I have like seven or eight verses on salvation, verses on heaven and hell, verses on marriage, you know, verses on a bunch of different topics. So what Satan does, I'm getting this, this, this impulse from God to say, hey, give that person a Bible. Then what Satan does is he comes in and says, why do you want to do that? That person, they're probably not a believer. <laughs> they're going to laugh at you. They're going to mock you. What are you going to take that chance? So then I have this little war, this little tug of war going on inside of me. Yeah, should I do it? You know, maybe someone else will witness to them, you know, and, and, and you have this going on. So what I have to do, I have to pray about it. And then I just have to make a commitment that I'm going to do it regardless of how they react. And I'll tell you what, I have given out over the years dozens and dozens of Bibles with the inserts. Sometimes people are very gracious. Oh, thank you so much. Sometimes they take that, I give them the Bible, and they look at me like, what in the world are you doing? I had a guy ask me, why are you giving me this? You think I'm bad? I have... People roll their eyes. But then I have other people thank me. Um, I gave a Bible to somebody that works at a golf course, and they said, thank you. And they said, we, we wanted you to write something in there. Oh, I saw you did that in the front cover. Thank you so much. And so I know, just like if you are verbally witnessing to somebody, they can mock and ridicule you, and they can turn aside. It's the same thing with the Bible. But you know what? I'm being obedient. Because I don't know, and I pray when I give out a Bible, I pray that those people will read it. I pray that they'll open it up and look at the scriptural references. And I pray for them. And, and you know, I've given out, like I said, dozens and dozens of Bibles over the years. But when I give them out, I try to spend a couple weeks remembering those people and praying that they'll open it and read it. Then I'm, I'm available for, for counsel. So this is just a personal example. This is just one thing I did. In fact, just this past week, I gave out three more. And I have two more to give on Tuesday night. I play, I play basketball at the Calvert Church on occasion, and I have two more Bibles for a couple guys that I've been playing with for a few years. So to end the message, I'm simply going to say this. When God impresses on you to do something good, follow Him. Do it. Don't worry about what the reaction may be. Be obedient to God. Put it in His hands and let Him carry through. Uh, so let's pray. Lord, thank You for the message from James, and Lord, even from the supporting scriptures that are written throughout Proverbs. Lord, as a church, as believers, help us not to be involved in ungodly behaviors that would spoil our testimonies. Lord, help us to adhere to the true wisdom that comes from reading and learning your word, and from praying to you. And Lord, uh, as believers, Help us not to commit the sin of omission. Help us, Lord, when you impress on us to be a witness and to do something good, that we will do this. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.